This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Oh, here we go, boys. that sound. This is a good one. Welcome everybody to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. I am Dale Luganville. Thank you very much for joining me. Welcome to this week's recap and rant. Not a ton to recap. Uh, finally, here in Minnesota, we got uh, some rain why it had to all come at once but we had some pretty good storms some gully washers if you will so kind of killed some of the plans that I had um I was gonna take my sister and her two kids my two nephews camping for their first time and uh, we we're gonna head up to Pelican Lake and Orr take advantage of some of the awesome public land up there and, and just do a, a legit tent camping thing which i haven't done in years years and years i bet it's been a decade or better since i've done actual tent camping um been talking about it for a while just haven't done it so that was the plan but uh as we got closer to the weekend just watching that weather forecast i was like oh man i just don't it's gonna i mean rain is one thing but the storms and it was just gonna be most of the time and then it was supposed to get really windy and and for two, you know, relatively young boys' first ever camping experience, I don't think it'd be a good idea to, you know, to have a soggy one where we couldn't just be outside and you know, doing the fun parts of camping. It's so we we decided to bail on that, and um, we'd just go Sunday weather looked decent, so I would just take them out um, fishing, and we would do like a shore lunch or something on Sunday. So that was the plan for that. So Saturday uh, morning, 
I was talking to Joel, my buddy Joel, and we were go scouting for geese because uh, that season opens up um, first weekend in Minnesota, the first weekend end of September, and then in Wisconsin it opens up actual September 1st. So we need to do some scouting, line up some land. So we're going to do that and then maybe fish later. Um, as it turns out, we kind of screwed. We probably should have flip-flopped that schedule because the rain kept it so we couldn't fish. But anyways, that's what we did. We drove around. Um, boy, we put on we put on quite a few miles, actually. Um, and we didn't. We weren't really looking for feeds, per se. I mean, I wouldn't have turned one down. Kind of went around my old stopping grounds and, and tried to make connections with some landowners that I had been on in the past kind of you know try to shore those things up and then um we're kind of keeping our eyes open for a really good migrator field for these molts and they come back through if we if we get the right weather this weekend and depending on which forecast you look at who knows um so but we did end up finding one really good one and then uh we have a line on another one i think think could be decent uh, migrator spot so we'll just have to watch the weather forecast and maybe some rain this week too coming into the weekend so i might have another day where i can't work and i'll i'll drive around and see if i can't find some feed fields because i don't have any right now and i'm not too i'm not just gonna go goose hunting for the sake of goose hunting like i'm not just gonna go sit in a field and hope for the best unless the weather conditions warrant you know, you think it's going to be, you're going to get under some migrators. That's a totally different thing. I'm down for that. Uh, but if the wind's not from the north, I'm probably not going to just sit in a field to say I sat in a field. In which case, we'll probably go fishing somewhere. And uh, after the epic day that came um, from the... Um, classic bass tournament up on pelican last week <laughs> 247 pounds of bass by the by the winner uh adam rasmussen i do believe holy crap that would have been amazing the the crazy thing about that is like just the beat down that he put on like he was over 100 pounds more than second place like that <laughs> that's crazy that is crazy and everybody's not familiar that this style of bass tournament tournament it's it's way released so they don't bring them back and they don't have this big way and it's not top five or top three or whatever it's a total cumul cumulative weight um like mlf like the major league fishing and uh so it's that's a lot of fish you caught 97 fish i want to say something like that yeah and i i knew i actually call it i'm like they're gonna break a record up there because that lake just it has the potential and the other thing that kind of surprised me was the drop-off after that, though. For him to have such an epic day, and the vast majority of the, the field really didn't do all that great, in my opinion, for that lake. I don't, I don't mean to, like, throw shade on, on anybody, but it's like, wow, how there's that big of a gap between first place you know, and second, and then second and third, I think, are relatively close. But then, it, you know, as you go down the list, it... it just it really starts dropping off so i don't know it'll be interesting to, to pick their minds um and just see what happens i should have signed up earlier and, and been a marshal for that one that would have been a fun one man knowing that lake the way i do just to see where people are fishing and, and how they're fishing and how they do it different than i do it or 
don't know. It, it, that would have been pretty badass, but I don't know. We'll see. I may or may not, hint, hint, have a, uh, an episode about that coming up. So I'm just going to leave that bag, little teaser, teaser for you. Uh, so anyways, yeah, so we found uh, some migrator fields. And uh, I just checked the weather forecast again today, and now it looks like Sunday, if it holds, if the forecast holds, could be a migrator day. So the only north wind day I see coming up is Thursday of this week. And that, it's a north wind with rain. So, I mean, it's not that they won't migrate in that, but... um, and the season will, season will be open in uh, Wisconsin, but not in Minnesota. So it would be interesting. Um, I won't take – well, you know what? Now that I think about it, if I can't work because it's raining, I mean, I might as well go sit in a field, right? Hmm. Or I might need to drive around and try to find a feed field. Dang it. Decisions, decisions. Oh, that's terrible. That's a terrible choice to make. I don't want to think about it. All right, moving on. Um but then the next time the wind switches to the north would be Sunday, and it's northwest wind, like 8 miles an hour, 5 to 10, or whichever one you look at. And that's kind of perfect, in my opinion, for kind of what you want. So we shall keep an eye on the forecast to determine what I'm going to do for this upcoming weekend. And then, of course, then the rain did move in, and so fishing on Saturday was out. Uh, I mean, I guess you could, but it was storms, so no thanks. So Sunday rolls around, and I uh, take my boys out fishing. We hit an area lake. Not my boys. I'm sorry. The boys. Call them the boys. Um, my nephews. And, yeah, so we packed, um, you know, stuff to, to cook fish with and some snacks. And, and the the goal was to go out and catch some panfish and maybe some bass if we got, you know, enough panfish to eat and do a shore lunch. Kind of try to do some of the camping fun stuff without having camped. And it was kind of what we were trying to do. It was the compromise we we made from bailing on them at kind of the last minute but i still i stand by that decision i think that was a smart decision because um, it would have been miserable sitting in tents in, in those storms it would just would not have been a good time and so yeah we went out and we found i mean the panfish weren't snapping by any stretch they're actually biting pretty light and i had found schools of crappies with some bluegills mixed in in like 13 to 15 feet of water like a hard line, like you had to be on that crease. And that's, you know, once you got over them, you could, you could catch them. But um, it was a tough one trying to get, you know, novice fishermen, you know, coaching them into, you know, how to do this. And they like these bobbers. And so I, I had them with slip floats and, but you had to really adjust it a lot, depending on if you were 13 or 15, cause these, they were on the bottom, they weren't up top. And, what I was doing is I was, wasn't was using a bobber for myself, and I would, they weren't afraid of the boat, so I'd get the boat right over top of them, and I would drop my line all the way down with a real small jig, and then when it got to the bottom, I would just pick up a little bit and jiggle it or hold it there, and then I'd get hit. And sometimes they would grab it on the way down, and you'd set the hook. You know, you'd go to lift up on it, and there was already fish on it. You'd set the hook. And it's that kind of like almost instinctual fishing or hook setting where that's, that's hard to – convey to you know kids it's it, they need to see that bobber go down and even then i'm like set the hook set the hook why aren't you setting the hook <laughs> and so um 
you know, and it's a little difficult too. You know, I think it would have been easier with strangers because strangers, you know, like as an actual guiding um, scenario, if I had clients, they follow directions a lot better because they just do what you're told. My nephews, because I'm their uncle, they've known me their whole life, they don't generally like to listen to me all the time. I'm like, hey, let's put on a smaller jig. He's like, I like using this one. Okay. Okay. Don't catch fish then. I don't care. <laughs> so, but they, we did end up catching some fish and uh, we got enough for a meal anyways. Um brought him back there's a there's a nice little uh county park there on the lake and cleaned him up fried him up of course in, in typical luganville fashion uh, to start the day i realized as i was loading the boat i brought the camp stove and the pan but what i didn't bring is my fillet knife and that's the problem so <laughs> my sister was able to she wanted to get her own fillet knife anyways because she um usually the one time of year she fishes and when we do go all or my whole family and then she likes to catch clean like at least a fish first that's always like her goal and so um, she did catch a few fish but she's been wanting to get her own fly knife i'm like well here's a great opportunity for you to get your own fly knife because i forgot mine <laughs> so she ran down to the store which thankfully wasn't too far away and picked up a, a fillet knife so that was good and uh, so i was able to clean the fish and then, then we almost had everything we needed, set everything up. And I, I didn't so much forget this piece, but I forgot how my, it's been so long since I've used my camp stove and it's a propane one screw in, you know, a little one pound tank. Um, I thought it had a, like a, you know, push button lighter, click lighter on it. No, you need like a match or a lighter. And I didn't have one. I don't smoke. My sister doesn't smoke. I'm like, ah, oh, crap. Thankfully, there was one other person at the park, and they were just getting ready to leave, and I walked up to their car, and thankfully one of them had a, a cigarette lighter, so we were able to start the, the stove. Otherwise, that would have been a bust. That was so dumb. Oh, one interesting thing I forgot. As we were, like, motoring out to my first um, spot, I sp spotted from a long ways off a uh, chicken of the woods mushroom. A sulfur shelf. I mean, they're bright orange. I mean, they it's literally like a billboard sign. But I was like, oh, right there. And my youngest nephew, Otto, for a couple of years now, he's been into, like, finding mushrooms. Because so we happened to be up in Orr one time, and we were walking around, and he found he found a lobster mushroom. I'm like, holy crap, that's a lobster mushroom. That's awesome. And so that I think my excitement kind of that got him excited. So now he's kind of he's all in to, like, he, he'll bring back – He'll always bring me back like a box of random mushrooms. I'll have to sift through them and see which ones are what, you know, if we can eat. And if you want, and and for a kid who's not really that um, brave when it comes to trying new foods, he's kind of a picky eater. When it comes to mushrooms, he wants he wants to try everything. So that's cool. I, I'm all about cultivating that. So um, I sent them in. For first, we couldn't all, get all the way to shore because the water was so low. Um, basically, beached the boat. So he jumped out and walked up there, grabbed it, hopped back in the boat. We were going to eat those uh, with our fish, except I didn't have any butter. And I'm not cooking them in vegetable oil. That just would not be very good. So, But they brought some home and fried it up later, and they said they were pretty good. So that was fun. And then so I dropped them back off, and Joel came out to the lake. And uh, so before I had to get back because I have a really old Ranger, a 1977. That's, you know, the motor had bad compression. I, I was chasing problems with it. I'd fix one thing, get it going. It's like an old Johnson or an Evernude 140 on it. And then the last time 
I had it running and then it went down and I brought it in and they did a compression test and compression was terrible. And that's, so I'm like, well, that's done. Cause I'm not rebuilding this motor. So that thing has just been sitting in the shed ever since. Well, I'm like, you know what? I just need to get rid of this thing. It's just taking up space. It's time to just sell it. So I had, I, I put a, put it on a marketplace, whatever. I got a shit ton of messages on it. Um, so I had somebody wanted to come look at it, so I had to be home for that. And so I, I went and uh, – and I had to get home and take care of my dog, Anna. So I didn't have much time, but went over and kind of <laughs> – it was funny because we are like – Joel's in his boat and I'm in mine. We're like fishing side by side, working. He's 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 front-ending me from his boat. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, didn't I didn't end up catching it. Well, actually, I didn't see him catch anything either. Like, I only fished for like 20 minutes. And I was like, all right, time to go back and load the boat up and get out of here. I got I got shit to do. So, you know, all in all, it was pretty successful, like half day, a little more than a half day of fishing. Um, it was fun. Got to eat some fresh fish, which is always good. And uh, got to stoke that fishing flame and interest in, in my nephews, which is also super important. And uh, so that's uh, that's my recap right there. Uh, I have not sold the boat yet, but got somebody who wants it. I've agreed to it, and I'm trying to honor, like, first come, first serve kind of a thing. But I have other people offering me more money, and that part sucks. But I, I'm going to stick to it, at least with this first guy. If this first guy falls through, let the bidding war begin. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'll try to try to honor that. But I'll – this isn't quite the right segue, but that's my recap. So I'm going to get into the rant and talking about, like, getting our youth into it kind of really loosely goes into us this one nah it doesn't really whatever screw it failed segue i'm 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 a abort 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 so anyways uh so last week i put out there like uh, oh when i've done it before like i asked people send me in your ideas for rants i'll give you my opinion on a particular news item in the outdoor space what have you and uh, you guys answered the call i started getting um some some couple good ones here and um from Derek Kumferman oh god I hope I didn't put your name too bad Derek I'm sorry um and he's he's been listening to the show for a while and he he sends me messages um not all time or regularly and uh that's cool I like that so that's the other thing you do you find me on social media if you send me a message I promise you I'm gonna read it and I'm gonna respond to it um I love doing that I love interacting it's great so he sent me this one he's like hey possible rant topic and it's an OutdoorLife.com article. It says, Petition to ban all interstate transport of wildlife would cripple U.S. hunters and conservations. So, two groups want to ban the transportation of wildlife, including wild game across state lines, thus crippling conservation, non-resident license revenue, and hunting as we know it in the U.S. All right, so this is clearly an anti-hunting bill. This is not conservation. This is not, you know helping wildlife true conservation this is straight up anti-hunting but they never just say that they always try to do this backdoor bullshit um and so i'm not going to go through this article um you know word for word you can go check it out outdoorlife.com uh, i can post a link to it in the in the show notes here too you can find it um but what I wanted, so I went down a rabbit hole. Thanks, Derek. Um, what I wanted to do is kind of highlight. Obviously, my opinion on this is it's bullshit. Like it's not, it's not going to get passed. I, I don't think anybody is going to stick their neck out for this. 
Um, it's going to be a waste of time. It's going to clog up the legislature, and it's just stupid. And they should be, they should be fined for it. I don't. I mean, I know that's not how it works, but they're wasting time and American taxpayer dollars for this bill that will not fucking pass. Thank God it won't pass. At least it won't pass as of now. But in the past, where I've gotten on, you know, the infighting that we find in the fishing and hunting space, where I say we don't have room for it, we don't have room for it, and this is proof positive why we don't have room for it um but i'm gonna put these two groups on blast and it's not it's not the one right now you might be thinking you know who it is but it's not the ones that we've it's not the marquee ones it's not PETA. it's not the hsus the humane society of the united states um it's not the wwf it's not the world wildlife federation or foundation or whatever they're called um it is uh, i just have the center for biological diversity and the natural resource defense council now those things they do a really those things sound great right who isn't for biological diversity that sounds like a great thing i could get behind that kind of group no not when you start looking into it no you cannot and the natural resource defense council Sounds right. Sounds good, right? As a sportsman, I'm all about natural resources. Yeah, we should defend our natural resources 100%. Again, not what they're talking about. These are two clearly anti-hunting groups. But I will say this. The anti-hunting part of it, that's just how they get support. I think all they are are shysters. They're just in it to make their own money and so i did a little research on these two uh groups and the most egregious one would be the center for biological diversity so i looked it up you know you go on their website you go about us and the nrdc works to safeguard the earth its people its plants and animals and the natural system on which all life depends yeah I mean, they don't hide it entirely because he says we combine the power of more than 3 million members and online activists with the expertise of some 700 scientists, lawyers, policy advocates across the globe to ensure the rights of all people to air the water and the wild. Now, that is a misleading statement. Now, they grouped in scientists, lawyers, and policy advocates, but of that 700 number, most of those are lawyers and I don't even know if they have any actual scientists on their their panel it's kind of kind of crazy so the center for biological diversity they kind of do the same thing right they got the they're a left of center environmental activist and legal advocacy organization based in Tucson so they got that legal advocacy ad why can't I say that? Advocacy. There it is. Woohoo! Nailed it. Um, these are lawyers, ladies and gentlemen. And um, what they like to do is spend a shit ton of money. So, what we have here is... Let's go into this. This page right here. This is from opensecrets.org this is kind of uh they keep an eye on nonprofit. um kind of kind of they they do the homework for you they look up their like tax 
filings and, and get all the numbers because they as a nonprofit they all this information has to be public. Uh, so they've got 1.1. This is the Natural Resource Defense Council. 1.1, 1,121,018 dollars in contributions in 2020, and lobbying 881,159. This is what they spent now, 926,747. Outside spending, zero dollars. Zero dollars. Meaning they haven't bought any land. They haven't restored any wildlife. They haven't cleaned up any shorelines. They've done absolutely dick squat. They've done nothing. Pretty interesting. This other group, the Center for Biological Diversity, for whatever reason, on the, and so went with the same site, this opensecrets.org. They don't have it listed as much. Um, they brought in, is this what they brought in? See, I don't even really, summary. Annual lobbying, also spent on lobbying. In 2018, they spent a shit ton, um, just about 240000 And then in, in 2020, it was only 62.2000 So I don't know why that one year was huge. Um, but reported contract expenses, $0. Pretty interesting. <laughs> Firms hired, Center for Biological Diversity, yeah, so here's what I found out. They are basically keeping the lawsuits flowing because they're built of primarily <laughs> lawyers. Like, they're just paying themselves. It's disgusting. All the money that they're bringing, them, bringing in. So total revenue... For here's an article I found on it. Uh, 2017 exceeded 20.1 million dollars, and as of March 2019, it had 160 employees and more than 40 attorneys. They got here. Um, did I not? I thought. Oh yeah. Here, here's the. This is actually the article I wanted to read. This is one called "A Ratty Conversation with the Center for Biological Diversity." from the acsh.org.com and this is uh, this this is an eye-opening article that I, I'll, I'll try to remember to put this in the show notes as well because you got to read through this it's it's just unreal and this is the kind of stuff that we need to let people know about like you know what actually I'm going to put it make this a Facebook post too and uh, this needs to be shared around because it's just so ridiculously transparent. Uh, the CDBD's website lists about 170 staff members, with more than 50 of them having attorney or counsel in their job title. So it's a law firm, not a scientific organization. And uh, it even talks about CBD at bragging, bragging about winning their lawsuits. Um, based on our unparalleled record of legal successes, 83% 
of our lawsuits result in favorable outcomes. We've developed a unique negotiating position with both government agencies and private corporations, enabling us, at times, to secure broad protections for species and habitat without the threat of litigation. Emphasis added. Yeah, in other words, since everybody knows that CBD wins lawsuits, they don't even have to threaten you with one to win. So, yeah, that's... It's... He's got some numbers in here. Let me find them here. Um... Where are they at? It was just unreal. Uh, did he have it on here? No, he didn't. That's right. That's right. I took this and then I went to this other site and then found out, you know, got to the bottom. Follow the money. That's all you got to do is follow the money. Suckling, CBD executive director, as of 2017. His compensation is $295,823. His former protester with Radical Left, he is a former protester with the Radical Left Direct Action Environmentalist Organization, Earth First. And as of 2017, the combined total compensation from CBD for the four co-founders was nearly $950,000. Almost a million dollars for those four people. Now, they did have, they lost. For all the lawsuits they win, they lost to um, an Arizona jury $600,000 libel judgment against CBD as it was filled by a rancher and investment banker, Jim Chilton. So CBD had posted photos and allegations on its website asserting that Chilton was allowing destructive overgrazing on his allotment of National Forest. So what? He sued them for libel, basically, um, because, not basically, that's what he did sue them on. So what he did is he provided the courts with a wider angle photo of the exact same scenery, and then behind it you can show the healthy tree and green spaces located in the same vistas, convincing the jury that CBD's pictures and representations had been selective and misleading. Obviously, what's that? that's what they do. That's why they always show... And it's funny because I think on both of these sites, if you go to their sites, like the first thing on the cover, it's always the goddamn polar bear. Every single time it's the polar bear. And they're not endangered. They're not endangered. There's a shit ton of polar bears. Tons of them. And everybody keeps crying about climate change, global warming. Like not every polar bear depends on sea ice. The ones that do might have a problem if you lose some sea ice. But they're not so dumb that they're not going to... They're bears. Bears are super good at finding other food sources. They're not just going to be like, well, I guess there's no sea ice. What are we going to do? I mean, there's no sea ice. What are the seals going to do? The seals are going to go on land. Polar bears are just going to jack them on land. I mean, what's what's the difference? Uh, but they always show, like, the starving... You know, like, that. the one that got famous was, like, this really sickly starving polar bear and he was on this piece of ice that was floating away making it look like that was the last chunk of ice and he just refused to leave and he's starving to death now that was misleading too because i remember reading articles after the fact that that was just an old sick bear he couldn't his teeth were worn down he couldn't eat very good he was just starving he just happened you know they got lucky and was able to snap that picture while he was standing on a piece of floating ice so it's just so misleading. All those like dog commercials, you know, where they take they take the saddest dogs ever. 
You know what? I, I always joke, but I've, I could have made a shit ton of money on that because my dog, Anna, she's a rescue. She's a pit bull, and they just have those eyes. She's got that goofy, stupid ear. And I tell you, when I leave, even if I'm just going to the gas station back, she gives me those eyes. <laughs> Looks like I have taken her food from her. I, I, I killed her puppies while she watched. Like, that's what the, the eyes of betrayal as I'm leaving her to go to the gas station. Like, I, it, would be the, it would be the best because she's not actually tortured. She's very well taken care of. So they would like that, but then they could use that image and with some sad music in the background and and who's who's the lady that sings um McLaugh, Sarah McLaughlin singing in the background or whatever. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, they just it it it's so abhorrent what they with with how they pull out the strings of, you know, the basis of these animal rights organizations, it's great, you know, as far as the I won't say the basis of the organizations, the basis of the people that actually donate to them, their hearts are in the right spot. A lot of times, not the vast majority of the times, these are people coming from like, you know, cities, they're disconnected with nature and how everything actually works. And so they see these commercials and they tug at their heartstrings and I get it. They're they're hard to watch. I mean, a lot of us hunters, a lot of us sportsmen, you know, we don't like to see animals suffer either, but we have a connection to how nature actually works and we understand that nature is a pretty damn tough place it's not kind you know there's no morality out there it's it's kill or be killed eat or be eaten uh, you get sick you break i mean shit happens and it's just it's not a nice nice place out there um but these they're taking they're basically preying upon people's good spirits and their empathy because they they put out these commercials they make all this money and they're just getting rich off it. Here it is right here. The four founders, 2017, made almost a million dollars. That's what they're paying themselves. Um, thankfully, they got sued and won. That part was awesome. Um, uh, da, da, da. Of the total judgment, 500000 was in the form of punitive damages, which a newspaper account said was the jury's intent to punish CBD and deter others from similar... Easy for you to say. Similar libel. Whew, I'm having a hard time speaking. I have to take a Patrick Patches Olsen-like sip here. Except I'm not going to make it loud. Ooh, don't chew on that. I, I want to chew on that ice cube, but I'm not going to... <laughs> that would be irritating as fuck. Uh, CBD's policy strategy, according to the 2010 New York Times profile, is to file relentless lawsuits seeking stricter enforcement of Endangered Species Act, Clean Air Act, and other federal environmental laws. Most often petitioning lists new species in the ESA or beef up enforcement for those already listed. How disingenuous does that sound? Well, actually, it doesn't sound disingenuous at all because um they're just making money i mean of the 160 employees they list as of march 2019 more than 40 are attorneys why do they want to keep having lawsuits because they get paid that's how lawyers get paid and they get to set their own wages isn't that freaking convenient this is unreal it is just so gross. But they got they're part of the wall lawsuit. Bunch of stuff. So um 
That's pretty crazy. Ooh, here we go. Financing. CBD's budget and gro has grown rapidly. Total revenue for 2002 was $1.6 million. And by 2017, had exceeded 20.1 million, up from 14.7 in 2016. So God knows what it is right now. That is crazy. Um, in the early versions of CBD, according to the New York Times profile, the biggest benefactor was controversial left-of-center Swiss billionaire Hans-Jörg Weiss, giving through his Swiss Foundation from 2003 to 2006. The Swiss Foundation gave him at least 500,000 CBD. And Suckling stated that in 2010, the Weiss had pledged an individual donation of additional $10 million. This is un unreal amounts of, of amounts of money. And a bunch of other left-leaning, they donate. It's just crazy how much money they make. I mean, everybody here is making the founder. His compensation in 2017, $272,000. Um, the center's chief development officer, he's making 184000 Center's conservation directors and attorneys, he's got 141000 Chief operating officer, 165000 Senior council and director, 125000 I mean, they're all making six figures, and this was back in 2017. I'm sure those wages have gone way up since then. Um so they're doing they're doing pretty good. When their revenue is fourteen million seven hundred and fifty eight and their expenses are thirteen point nine million, that then they have twenty million in assets, that kinda tells you that um I don't really think they're in it for saving any animals. So that's uh that's all fun, isn't it? So that's what we got going on uh against us. So thankfully, I don't think this bill has a chance, a snowball's chance in hell of actually making it through. It better not. But don't let that stop you when you hear wind of this to um, contact your representatives and tell them fuck no. Not just no, but fuck no. Because <laughs> that is, th there's no way they're going to do that. Um, it would cripple the Robert Pittman Act. And, you know, that was the other thing. I brought that up. I Googled that real quick. Because all this money that they allegedly bring in, what I can't remember, what it, but it was like a pittance, a million here, a million there, and they don't even make it an outside spending. It doesn't even go back into what they're trying to do. If they're claiming they're trying to help wildlife. They're just, they're just full of shit because all I did was Google Pittman-Robertson Act revenue for 2020 and – they generated nearly $1 billion in conservation funding. $1 billion with a capital B. And these clowns out here taking advantage of old ladies and well-meaning individuals that just want to help a cute little polar bear somewhere. And they're sending these. That's why I call them shysters. I mean, that's that's the definition of the term, right? It, it's a, an attorney that's taking advantage of people overcharging and everything else like they're just they're they're literal predators they're preying upon the goodwill of people and they're stealing their money and lining their pockets with it it's disgusting so i'll send this um i'm gonna post that um article share it around pass it around and uh, i'll put the links in the show notes too you can check those things out um, do it what you will and when you run into somebody that might not have a favorable opinion of hunting, 
you know, I think it's important to point out these other organizations that claim to help. You know, stuff like PETA and HSUS, when you when you start, I should have pulled them up too, but they weren't really part of this article, so I didn't. But you can do your own independent studies on that. It's all public information because they're a nonprofit. They have to report their earnings and salary and their spending and stuff like that. Um, they take in ungodly amounts of money and they spend ungodly amounts of money on just advertising. And that's just to get in more donations. And then when you look at what is actually spent restoring habitat or, you know, working on breeding or, or whatever programs, it's the smallest fraction you can think of is, is actually making it back onto the ground. It's just disgusting. And here we have a billion dollars going into it, into conservation funding. And we're the bad guys? Go fuck yourself. It's just that that's the part that um, just drives me nuts. And it's hard to get that across to people that aren't hunters. Now, I do I do want one word of caution. As hunters, as sportsmen, fishermen, conservationists, we do have, and some of us are true conservationists. I would like to consider myself one of those people. But there's a lot of hunters I hear that will use that argument, but don't really do anything for conservation either. So, you know, I mean, their dollars are, you know, inadvertently, but that it's not like they're, the point I'm trying to make is like, it's not like they're buying a new gun and ammo, which ammo, that's where the majority of the funding for the Roberts Pittman Act comes from. Um, not so much the hunting boots, but big time on the, the ammo and pistols, which is another kind of a fun thing. This is almost be a side rant. Maybe I, but I'll just touch on it. This would be a good rant subject. Um, you can when you run into somebody who is uh, an anti-gun person, if they if you could tell them if they, if they could have their wish and all like you couldn't buy a pistol and you couldn't buy a gun anymore, the damage that would do to the the environment and conservation in the tune of one billion dollars created by that fund, because the vast majority of that fund of the Pitts and Roberts Act is not from your hunting boots, it's from guns and ammunition and pistols have the largest percentage of tax goes to that that fund so if they're against pistols i guess they're against wildlife (laughs) i mean an argument can be made and i think a very strong argument can be made that they would be you know to placate their fear they're just throwing out america's wildlife so that's amar said i was going to ignore it but i didn't i went into it but that i could make a, a nice longer argument or a nice longer debate on that one that would be a That'd be a fun one. That'd be a good one for me to like write out. It'd be a good opt-ed to send somewhere. Um, yeah, that's probably not going to happen. I say I'm going to write stuff and then I never do, but whatever. Anyways, so that's the kind of the um, the angle I would take when you're when you're talking people that either are full anti-hunters or are just like just don't quite get it. They're not for or against it really, but maybe they donate to some of these things because they. You know, they just have a good heart, basically, is what it comes down to, and and they're lacking knowledge. They're ignorant. And I don't mean, and I don't mean ignorant as as an insult. I mean it as the word itself. Like they just aren't educated on the subject, and it's our job to educate them without being preachy, without poking them in the chest, without making them the bad person. They're not the bad person. They're actually just using their heart. They want to help, and they think they're helping by giving money. And so, what you can do is point out these kind of groups. Give them these articles, give them these websites, and show them it's like, this is where your money is going, and it's not 
It's not actually helping. And so for those people that aren't then going to take that money and donate it to Ducks Unlimited, they're probably not going to do that either. But if they want, if they're animal lovers and they want to actually help, what they can do is, and this part sucks, because the Humane Society of the United States, they're the bad guys, right? They are the straight anti-hunting pieces of shit. But your local Humane Society does actually help, you know, the stray dogs and the stray cats and um, that kind of thing. And that's, if that's where they want their money to go to something like that, steer them to their local humane shelter. They need money, you know, and which is another reason the HSUS is full of shit. Because if they really wanted to help, they'd be cutting these local humane shelters a check, and they don't. It's disgusting. It's borderline evil. So they need to be, hopefully they would be held accountable, but they never will because there's just too much money in Washington, and that's just how that's going to be. So, all right, there's your weekend recap and rant. Um, got some pretty fun episodes coming up this week. Uh, this Wednesday, I believe, is the Wisconsin opener, and Nick J and I are going to try to do another podcast from the field while we hunt geese on Wisconsin opener, the early goose opener. So we'll see how that goes, which means your waterfall Wednesday, you're not going to get till Thursday. But with that said, you're probably going to get two episodes on Thursday because I will have another episode for you this week. Um, so you're getting your three episodes this week, damn it, and, uh, and you'll like it, I hope. Anyways, I hope you like it. So with that, I will leave you. Thanks again, everybody, for following along. Don't forget to subscribe and follow, rate, review where possible. Uh, follow all the social medias and keep messaging me. Give me those uh, rant ideas and uh, or just, hey, send me some pictures of what you're doing. You know, we caught a big bass this last weekend or check out this big buck I shot or whatever. Um, anything. You can ask me questions too. If you're just getting into hunting or fishing, you have a question or foraging, whatever. Do what all my friends do. Send me a picture of a random mushroom you found growing in your yard. Like, hey, can I eat this? <laughs> Except if you're going to do it. Okay, here's a quick tip before I go on mushroom identification. As far as if you want me to identify the mushroom for you, I, I can do my best. I I'm willing to do the research for you. But I need more than one picture. I'm going to need the picture of the cap. I need a picture underneath the cap. I need a picture of the stock, and if I can, just where it's growing before you pick it, because that'll tell me a lot. If it's growing out of wood, if it's growing out of dirt, um, what kind of tree it was on, any kind of information you can give me about this mushroom you found will help me narrow it down, and I can give you as accurate of an answer as I can on what kind of mushroom it is, and if you can or cannot eat it. So. Um, yeah, feel free to send me stuff like that. I, I, I love, I dork out on stuff like that, so it's fun. I love interacting with you guys. Uh, so keep those questions coming. Keep those topic ideas coming. I truly appreciate it. With that said, I'll leave you with this. And you already know what I'm going to say. Whatever your passion, pursue it full scale.